Hello and welcome to another Livewire podcast. I am your host, Katie LW, and today we have got a legendary podcast heading your way. So if you've been on Livewire during the month of November, you cannot have missed Legend Convention. On today's community roundup, we will be chatting about Legend Convention, what went down. Um, if you haven't joined us for the Livewire podcast before, this is a podcast made for the Livewire community, which is made up of hundreds of young people from across Australia and New Zealand living with a serious health condition, chronic illness or disability and their siblings. So on today's community roundup, Legend Convention kicked off with a bang. We've had trivia every couple of days. We have had lots of live streams coming in. Some of them have been our typical live stream game shows, but we've also had a bunch of great streaming guest interviews, including an interview with Bebe, aka Little Trouble, who is best known for their streaming on Twitch of the game Age of Empires 2, and also Matt Salo from Fox News, who is a sports journalist and reporter. But like I said, Legend Convention wasn't just a celebration, it was also a month-long competition. So a big shout out to our winners from Legend Convention, to Dom, Bear Bear and Lozzie for taking out that first, second and third spot. And a quick shout out also to our fourth and fifth places, the Dodo Lord and Baldy Locks, who just were pipped at the post. It was a really tough competition and everyone who took part in it, as far as I'm concerned, are legends. Now, the trivia that we had going on this month was pretty tough. Um, If you didn't know uh, specific things about cartoons, musicals, the entire Shrek franchise, there were some real curveball questions out there. And my favorite answers to come through were from people who, look, maybe didn't know the answer, but gave it a shot anyway, didn't quite get it right, but their answers were pure gold. So my favorite one came from Lozzie. Um, when answering the gaming trivia, and when asked the question, who is the voice actor for the character Wheatley in Portal 2, Lozzie answered, Gordon Ramsay. He frequently breaks character and demands to know where the lamb mint sauce is. So thanks so much to everyone who gave us some quirky, if not quite right answers, and you were rewarded with some points for creativity because look it's Livewire and we love to celebrate creativity here on Livewire. This month on Livewire we have the Livewire advent calendar so if you are joining us throughout December check out our celebration of celebrations. Lots of different cultures have different things happening around the end of the year we will be talking about those we will also have some special guests joining us as well. We've already had the incredibly funny Tanya Hennessy join us on Livewire for a chat and for some giggles. Uh, We've got other special guests lined up this month, so check out what is happening on the Livewire advent calendar on the what's on each month. So let's kick off this Livewire podcast today. Tommy Livewire has been chatting with the incredibly talented Amelia Travi, who is a front-end web developer, STEM advocate, and educator, um, who has a passion for learning. Amelia, also in her spare time, uh, is a silversmith. So if you ever wanted to know more about what it takes to be a web developer, this is the podcast for you. 
We will also be recapping a conversation that we had last month during NADOC week with Norni Barrow, who is the head chef and business owner of Mabu Mabu, which is a catering company and then also a much-loved local cafe in Yarraville in Victoria. So Mabu Mabu is a saying in the Torres Strait Islands, which translates to help yourself. So traditionally, a Mabu Mabu is a banquet or a meal shared with your big family and friends. Um, And it's about sharing meals with surrounded by the people uh, that you love. So Nordi is passionate about native ingredients and uses a variety of indigenous herbs, fruits and succulents and spices in all of their dishes. So Nordi will be chatting to... Livewire about using uh, using native ingredients in cooking. So stick those headphones in, lean back, and get ready for today's podcast. I'm joined now, guys, by Amelia Travers, who is a professional in the field of technology. She has a very, very interesting background, and I'll get her to tell you about it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yep, I'm Amelia. I'm currently working as a junior uh, developer at a technology company in Melbourne, and I've got a pretty diverse background. I'm guessing you want to hear a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I guess starting at school, I've always been a pretty massive science nerd, and I followed that, which meant I actually got to be one of the first Australians to attend a European space camp where I got to go to Norway and launch a rocket. From there, I went to university to do a bit more study, obviously in science, and I followed a geographical sciences path, which meant that I got to travel around and do a whole lot of like field trips outdoors, stuff like that. I then moved down to Tasmania to study something called a marine and polar sciences degree. I got to go to the Arctic, do a lot more travel. As you can tell, I'm a bit focused on being able to go out and see some cool stuff. I then got a job as a park ranger, so worked for Parks Victoria for a while, and then moved into STEM education because I just like talking to people about STEM because it's a bit fun. From there, Basically, I talked about tech too much and convinced myself that it's really awesome because it is awesome. And I moved into the job that I currently have now. So I'm a front-end web developer, which means I work on the pretty end of the website, basically. And I also run a STEM careers podcast because I'm just that much of a science nerd still. What are you most passionate about in STEM? I'm super passionate about asking questions and basically I see STEM as this open opportunity to ask as many questions as you want and basically give the universe a good poke to understand why and what's going on. So there's just so many opportunities to uncover something new and cool and just to embrace the fact that there's so much we don't know and not knowing stuff is actually kind of what excites me. Now, this is coming from someone who does most of their STEM learning on YouTube with Brian Cox. Oh, he's a legend. Do you have, do you have a favourite YouTuber with this kind of stuff? Because that's, that's seriously where I'm, I'm learning everything. That's interesting. I actually mostly learn through podcasts. I very rarely watch YouTube. And favourite podcasts would be Stuff You Should Know, uh, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, and Radio Lab, which is just amazing. I'm going to follow that up with where do you think the world is heading in terms of STEM? 
That is such a big question. <laughs> I love it because it's just like, where's the well going to go? In terms of STEM, well, basically in terms of the whole world, at the moment, I think most of us really have no idea. We're living in a time which is incredibly fast and incredibly uncertain. And I think even trying to predict next week is a bit unwise, let alone trying to protect like a year or five in the future. I think all that I sort of feel certain about is that we, because of the speed, because of the uncertainty, we need to be able to pivot. So we need to be able to change directions. If we're following a path that changes significantly, happens all the time in tech. You get really into something and then it just like completely evaporates, which means you need to be able to learn, adapt. And I think what I see coming out of all of this uncertainty is that we're going to be much more creative people. Uh, necessity breeds invention and like we're going to have so many more things that are pushing us to invent things that are pushing us to be creative. So whilst there's a lot of things I won't, I'm not going to guess on specifics, I think being creative and being able to adapt and learn, that's the kind of world we're going to be moving into. This is a follow-up question. So do you have a piece of technology, I want to say other than a smartphone, because I think that's the obvious answer, but other than a smartphone, do you have a piece of tech that you may not have had growing up that surprises you and has become, say, vital or you know, uh, at least really, really important in your day-to-day life? I live in a fairly heavy technology house and there's a, there's a lot of things that I really like. Probably the two that streamline my life the most are having the kettle on a timer. So it's a auto like little system that means I can turn the kettle on at night. I can wake up in the morning and have a boiled kettle. Incredibly like self-indulgent <laughs> makes my life amazing. <laughs> And then also having lights on timers, I find like particularly in winter when it's harder to get out of bed, having lights that will gradually turn on and simulate a sunrise, uh, again, just make me a little bit less grumpy. That's really cool. So you've got quite a smart home then. Smart dumb home. <laughs> we So we've got a lot of like smart PowerPoints, smart lights, all things that do stuff, but nothing that listens to us. Yeah. Yeah. No, so no Alexa, no Google. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I like the, the lights sound really cool, actually. And, um, and what are your thoughts on AI? I know we're, we're jumping fairly deep into stuff. <laughs> Jump in nice and quick, I reckon. <laughs> I, so AI is a totally mixed bag. I'm definitely not an expert, but I like to be abreast of a whole lot of stuff that's happening in tech. I think it's really important really for everyone. Overall, I think artificial intelligence is awesome. It has a huge amount of potential and it has a huge amount of potential for good. However, it's also got a lot of potential for bad, obviously. And, you know, I think realistically anyone who's asking that question is kind of also asking, are you expecting a killer robot army? (laughs) Kind of soon. Like that's the sub question. Um, So... What I'd say is that I'm really excited for really boring things to be automated. So things like having my taxes done, uh, that'd be fantastic if that was just all dealt with by artificial intelligence. 
I'm excited for things particularly around safety to be improved through artificial intelligence. So things like bushfire detection using like satellite imagery, fantastic use of AI. The, the flip side is obviously that there's potential for evil and it's, there's also the potential for just general bad stuff. And I think you'll see that mostly through discrimination and that's purely not going to come from an innate evil in AI. It's going to come from the people who are programming it. And what we've seen so far is that if people are biased in a particular way, that's going to leach into the way that they're coding. So it's a, what we call it is Geigo garbage in equals garbage out. So you train AI to be stupid. It's going to be stupid. It can't help that. So the best thing that I think we can do that everyone, or hopefully at least a couple of geniuses who happen to be listening to this can do, is get involved yourselves. So don't treat AI as if it's this sort of like far off, like high flung idea that you need to have years and years of uni to be able to tinker with. There's a whole lot of tools online. They're almost all free. There's a whole lot of services provided by the big companies, which is kind of ironic, like Amazon Web Services, Google, they'll give you free access to their online servers for you to tinker around with things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, whole lot of tutorials you can do, go for it. The more people who are involved in training AI, the better the result's going to be and the less evil things have an opportunity to be. I see on your profile that you've won a few awards, which is really, really cool. And the first one that I read about was you winning a uh, Girls in Tech for Humanity, a Girls in Tech Hack for Humanity Award. That was last year. Do you want to explain that? So about a year ago, I started uh, my coding journey, learning how to code, like actually putting effort in into an attempt to turn it into a career. And... There's a, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. I'm purely self-taught with a lot of support from family and friends. And I was heavily involved in looking for opportunities. And one a, a lot of opportunities that come up are hackathons. And they're still happening now. You can do them from your home. If you can get involved with a hackathon, do it. Because I got involved with the Girls in Tech hackathon and volunteered for the awesome Starlight Project because... It was by far the coolest project that was available. And I got to work with, I think there was about eight girls over the course of a weekend to smash out the um, the concept for, and I've forgotten what the project's called now. We were just referring it to, to it as the web portal. Yeah. So we basically designed and built in a weekend uh, the initial concept for the Starlight web portal. And I was the predominant coder for that. There was a whole lot of designers. There was a whole lot of like people who were really good at making projects work, but there wasn't a whole lot of coders available. And so a lot of it fell on me. It was by far the best learning opportunity I could have had. It was incredibly intense, incredibly frustrating, which which obviously means you're learning if you're experiencing those two things. And we smashed it out of the park and blew a whole lot of people away. We actually made people cry with how beautiful like, and exciting it was. It really resonated with people um, for some reason. And 
we won and we got to hold like a giant check, which was so cool, which we handed over to you guys. But we all got photos with it because it was an actual giant check. <laughs> yeah, and well, thank you very, very much. Yeah, I have seen that. It's a really, really, really cool portal. Um, do you have a favorite coding language to work with? So as a front-end developer, I predominantly use CSS, HTML, and JavaScript. I'm currently more a React developer, which is a particular JavaScript framework. Uh, however, if I was going to say if there's people out there listening, yeah, JavaScript's awesome. And it's really cool now that there's machine learning stuff that you can do with JavaScript. But if you're just looking at a language to tinker around with and you're not sure if you want to do front end, you're not sure if you want to do AI, you're not sure if you want to do back end, all that sort of stuff, I'd probably say have a look at Python. There's a huge amount of resources out there. There's like, it's quite easy to use. It's not completely unlike natural language, which is what like we're speaking now. It's a really good place to start. So Python or JavaScript, I reckon. And lastly, Amelia, how do we reach you? If you're interested in the podcast where basically I get to ask people that I think are interesting questions about their career and so hopefully help young people decide if that career might be relevant to them. Spoiler alert, a lot of them seem to involve replying to a lot of emails. Um, <laughs> check out uh, avidresearch.com.au. So that's A-V-I-D-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com.au. And I'm particularly proud of the website because I created it all myself. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Amelia, and look forward to tuning into your podcast very soon. Thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everyone, I hope you've been enjoying your NAIDOC week. Well, today I am from, well, I'm Moni I am from Mabi Mabi, which is an Indigenous um, food business in Yarraville on the west side of Melbourne. We use all native flavours, so we have a restaurant down there. But we also sell a lot of spices, native spices, and make sauces and stuff out of them as well, from pickling to all the way up to hot sauces, using all native ingredients. Today we're going to be talking about some of those natives that we actually use, because what I want you guys to do is start using more natives in your everyday cooking. So this is our opportunity to, to think about what actually grows really well in the parts of Australia that we're from. And if we start growing some more as well, the more demand that we ask for it and the more it comes, the better the price will be. And then that way we can have natives in every kitchen around Australia. So main thing is, is to start off with actually knowing some of your native plants that are local to your area. So things that grow really well down here in Melbourne, if you're in Melbourne, is pepperberries. So I've got a pepperberry tree right here. This is a female pepperberry tree. So pepperberries trees come in two different types, so males and females. And when you actually grow them, or if you want to ever grow them, or get your parents to grow them for you if you want, ask them, I want to grow some pepperberries. Not only do they give you the peppers, I've got some peppers here that I'll show you. I've got some dried peppercorns here. So you can see, hopefully you guys can see how dark they are. So they're actually a really nice dark color, but what they is is very deceiving. They're very dark in color, so you think they're black, but really what it is is very dark purple. So when you grind them down, you do a little bit of a purple tinge. 
So I've ground some down here with, and it's like a wet mix to it, but it has what the smell that comes off the pepper berries is this beautiful clove flavor. So it's very clovey to taste when you're doing it, but it's actually as spicy and really spicy like Szechuan pepper. So it gives you a bit of hot spice on the back of your tongue and gives you a little bit of numbness as well when you're doing it. So this is a female pepperberry. So what happens if you wanna try and grow pepperberries is you always have to get them as a male and a female. Only not because they love each other, because they're just in competition. You know, they like to look at each other and see who's doing better than the other. So they actually grow really well as a male and a female together. Because if you pull them apart and grow, try and singularly grow one, they tend to lose their leaves and they're not happy enough. So always try, if you ever want to grow some, is get them as a pair. Always get them as a male and a female. And not only can you use the berries from them, but you can also use the leaves. Now the leaves are actually spicier than the pepper berries itself as well. So the leaves, when you grind them down, they'll give you this nice green color, but they'll give you the spiciness that it needs as well. But also what you can do with the pepper berries is use the leaves as a alternative to bay leaves as well. So it'll give you that little spiciness, but it'll also give you that nice herbiness flavor as well. So you've got a cool couple of options there to use the pepperberries for. And I've, I'm, I'm a big lover of the pepperberries because not only does it give you that nice purple tinge to it, when you add it to liquid, so I've got some pepperberries in some water here that I've got so that you can see the purple color that comes through it. So it actually gives you this ruby red purple tinge to it when you actually add it to liquids. So pepperberries, when you add it to flavors or to your yogurts or say your pickling mix, it will turn your pickling mix into this nice purple glow. So it gives you this ruby red look to it, as well as those beautiful clovey flavors and that spiciness as well. So those are great options to use and to give yourself a plant as well if you want to in your backyard. On my side here, I've got a, a aniseed myrtle plant. So this is a really good bush to actually grow. I've got it in a pot here that just grows in my backyard and it gives you a really good leaf content on it. So you get a fair bit of good leaves on it. So what you can do with the leaves is dry them out, grind them down, and then use them as a powder, or you can use them as leaves. So I've got a bit of aniseed myrtle. I've got a bit of aniseed myrtle here that's grounded down into a powder, because what the best thing you can use for them is to make biscuits as well. So that actually opens up the question of whether or not to use different types of myrtles as well. So not only do I have my aniseed myrtle, but I also have my cinnamon myrtle that's in here. So I've got some cinnamon myrtle here. And when you give it a good smell of that cinnamon myrtle, it has this like end sweetness that lingers when you give it a good smell. So it's got that bitterness from the myrtle, but it gives you that end sweetness as well. And the other myrtle that I've got here is some lemon myrtle. So if you've ever tried some lemon myrtle you, and you have a really good smell of it, really gives you that lemony flavor, almost in between a cardamom and also a lemongrass, gives you that fragrance and that punchiness of tangy lemon, but gives you that myrtle bitterness as well. So those are three different myrtles that you can use. And one thing about um, lemon myrtles, great in biscuits. Try and make yourself some butter biscuits. Ooh, they're delicious to do. Add a little bit of 
your poppy seeds in there and it works really great. So that's where you can have the lemon myrtle as well. So that's three different myrtles that you can use. But one of my favorite, favorite ingredients to use is the wattle seed. Now the wattle seed is, I've got some here that I've grounded down into a nice powder. So you can see it almost looks like a chocolate powder. It's got this great chocolate powder look to it. I've grounded it down in my a spice grinder here, but if you give a good, really good smell to it, it has this really great fragrance of hazelnuts. So it gets that really nice hazelnut flavor when you give it a good smell. And then when you actually add it to your dishes, not only does it give you that hazelnut flavor, but also a bit of chocolate and almost a bit of a caffeine hit. So if you're someone like me who can't have caffeine, sometimes it's quite nice to have yourself a wattle seed latte because you get that nice creaminess from it because wattle seeds are normally used as a natural thickener as well. So it does thicken up stuff that it add, gets added to. But one thing I like to do with it is make a nice butter out of it as well. So this is a butter that you might want to rub on your damper when you're making it or just like having it on your raisin toast and stuff. So what I like to do is actually add a couple of tablespoons of butter, any butter that you want, but the best thing is to make sure that you're using an unsalted butter as well if you're using it to make it. So two tablespoons of butter, just to give that little sweetness that it needs, I always add a bit of golden syrup as well. So in my bowl here, I've got my two tablespoons of butter already that's already re ready to go. All I'm gonna do is add my golden syrup to it because I want that extra sweetness that it's gonna give me. Now, when you're mixing butter and golden syrup together, make sure that you go two to one. So always go two tablespoons of butter to one tablespoon of golden syrup because what you want is you don't want your butter to split. Now, syrups, they're really lovely to add to butter, but the problem is that they make the butter split so it doesn't look as fancy. It will still taste delicious, but it just doesn't look quite right. And you want something that is a bit more spreadable for you so you can spread it on and your scones and on your toast to have that like sweetness, but that little chocolate hit that comes from that wattle seed with the hazelnut finish. So then all we're gonna do is pop in our teaspoon of wattle seeds into our bowl and then give it a good mix around. So I've got my, with that butter, if you give it a good mix around, just mixing your butter around. And then all you have to do is just pop this straight into the fridge, you know, and you can just use it anytime you want. So if you have a look there, it gives you that nice cocoa color. So it's almost like having chocolate butter, but you're getting this, if you have a little say, mmm, yes. You've got that nice sweetness coming from the, from the golden syrup, got that nice butter flavor, but then you've got this beautiful, wattle seed cocoa flavor as well that's in there so it's really delicious to do in making a nice sweet butter so and like i said with wattle seeds it is a seed as well so even if you ground it down into the powder you'll still have little crunchy bits in there because it is a seed and that's what gives you the little speckles so if you see in my butter that i've made there is some nice grainy speckles in there as well so that's just the wattle seed adding texture to your, to your butter. So it's got those beautiful flavors, but adding the texture as well to it. So that's my sweet butter. 
that's a really good one that you guys can just easily make at home using at least one of these great native butters. But with the um, wattle seed as well, really great to use in creams, but I also like using it in baking. So you can make yourself a wattle seed bread, or what I love is a wattle seed damper, because you get that nice cocoa color from it, but that like that bit chocolate flavor and hazelnut finish to it. So make yourselves, try and make yourself some wattle seed bread as well, because that's really nice. Or just make yourself a wattle seed damper because it is delicious to eat. And that's what I love about wattle seeds, because not only that, but it is a natural thickener, remember? So when you're using it, make sure that when you're adding liquids, you'll know that it will thicken the thicken it up and it will be more creamy. So that's a really nice option to actually use with the wattle seeds. From the wattle seeds, I want to talk about my other really cool herb, which is the saltbush. The saltbush is one of those great things I call the black man's oregano because it basically is a really nice herb, but it's really salty as well. So in my container here, I've got some saltbush. So some really great gray green leaves here. You've got a nice fragrance, but it's deceiving when you're smelling the saltbush because when you first take a sniff, it actually has this caramelized flavor to it. But when you taste it, it's really salty to the taste. So what you want to do is make sure that when you're making, say if you want to make a butter, which I like making butters with it. So another butter that you can do, do the same as we did with the wattle seeds. So you have two tablespoons of butter, but then ground down your, um, your salt bush even to a finer powder and then make yourself some butter out of it. So I've got some butter here that, um, that I've made, made uh, with the salt bush. So what you wanna do is, I've actually put some, I've made some earlier and put it in the freezer so you can see a nice round shape of it. So what I've done is I've put it in the freezer to actually harden up. I've actually popped it into just some glad wrap here. Now, if you don't want to use wrap, you can use baking paper to put your thing in. So all you do is whip up some of your butter like we did here with our wattle seed and place it into your glad wrap and then just roll it on the bench top to give you a nice, nice tight butter. So then when you pop it into your freezer, you can then pull it out and cut into slices and have beautiful butter that you can lather on anything you want. So if you want to just lather it on some piece of steak or just some chicken that you want to roast in some butter, this is always a nice salt bush um, butter to do. Always remember that if you're making a salt bush butter as well, use unsalted butter because you don't want to use salted butter because um, the, uh, the salt bush already is very salty. So you want to try and actually do, you use it I think, and then pop it in the freezer and you can have it for days and just cut off a little piece of it every time you want to use it. And that's a really quick, easy way of making a savory butter and also a sweet butter. So there's two different butters that you can make that actually you can use after it's already done and you can be saved in the fridge. So those are a couple of two key natives that I love to use, the saltbush, the pepperberry, and also the wattle seeds. Those are amazing uh, spices to use. Saltbush and pepperberry are a match made in heaven, so always combine them together if you want to make marinades. 
Those two really go well together. But remember that the saltbush is salty. So you want the flavor and the saltiness, but you also want a um, couple of other flavors that go through it as well. And saltbush can be used as an alternative to salt as well. So if you're adding saltbush to any of your dishes, try not to put too much salt, extra salt in there as well, because it already comes with that saltiness. Now, one thing I do like to talk about too is Caesar. Oops. As I dropped my lid, hopefully I didn't break it. I apologize for that. So I like to talk about sea succulents because sea succulents is my favorite thing to use in cooking. So here in my hand, I have some kakala, which is also known as pig face. So it grows quite regularly everywhere around Melbourne. So we see this quite a lot. And what it is, it's a sea succulent that you can actually use in stir fries or also pickle. You can pickle them because they actually pickle up quite nicely. They absorb a lot of great flavors and you can use them in stews because they hold themselves really well. Otherwise, you can just use them in salads as an alternative to cucumber. So they've got actually a lot of water contents in them, so they're crunchy to eat. They are uh, slightly salty because they are a succulent, but they are so good to eat. They actually give you a great flavor and they hold themselves really well when making stews and stir fries as well. So when you use them, they still hold themselves and they don't break away and sort of evaporate on you. So they've got this great flavor of them as well. And that is Kakala. But we also know it as pig face and it is around everywhere. So be careful when you go out to um, pick them anywhere, just give them a really good wash before you use them because they are a great alternative to put into those um, savory dishes that you love. But I also have some sea blake in here because like I said, I'm a big sea succulent plant fan. And I've got a bit of sea blight here that I've been using in some of my cooking. So this sea blight has got this really great fragrance to it. So if, it's almost like if rosemary and thyme had a baby, this is the fragrance that would come from it, is what comes off the sea blight. But the sea blight always reminds me too of home, like the ocean. If you ever get close to the ocean, you can smell that ocean breeze. That's what sea blight is, it's that ocean breeze. So I like quite using these as an alternative to your thymes and your rosemaries when making tarts and also adding them to other dishes like your breads and stuff as well. It's always quite nice to just add that in. So, and they hold themselves really well. And when they crunch up, they've got this great flavor to it if you're baking them. So those are some of the sea succulents that I really enjoy using. And I think we've all heard of the sea asparagus. Now the sea asparagus is one of those things that we hear a lot about in a lot of major cooking stuff, which is the samphire. Now, if you live around, um, if you live around Williamstown and you go to the dog beaches down there, in uh, there's three months of the season that you won't see it. But if you go down there, it's not available right now. But if you go down there, they um, samphire grows like wildfire down there, so you can see it in its natural habitat. So it grows closer to the ocean, but not really in the ocean, more on the surface side near the rocks. So if you go down there, you'll see some great samphire all over the place as well. So that's a really good hint to if you want to actually try some and see some down there. Otherwise, the kakala is actually grows a lot everywhere in the urban areas. So you'll see this quite often and commonly everywhere. 
So those are some sea succulents that I love to use. One of my favorites. I use a, a lot of it in a lot of the salads that we cook at Mabu Mabu. Now Mabu Mabu, we use all of these native ingredients in a lot of different foods that we make. So from the chocolate, from the wattle seeds that I talked about earlier, what we do is that we also make a chocolate waffle, sorry, a chocolate wattle seed waffle out of them as well. So it's really delicious to use. So there's so many options that you have out there for some great natives that you can use in all your dishes. So go out, try them, you'll love it. It'll be very different and remember, that most natives have strong flavors, so don't use too much to start off with. I hope you guys find some really good um, uh, tips out of all the natives that we just talked about, because some of these are really great for you to grow at home too. So I hope you really enjoyed it. And everything that we said here today, you can actually go on our website if you wanna have a look and see all the different natives that we use, because we do use a lot of the strawberry gum, a lot of the wild seeds, and a lot of the Pepper berries, these are amazing ingredients that we can use for everything. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys had a great um, NADOC and thank you guys for tuning in and watching and I hope you guys were able to hear what I said today. But big SO from us here at Mabu Mabu and thanks so much. And that is it for the 37th episode of the Livewire podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And thank you to everyone who contributed to the podcast, KDLW, Amelia Travers, and Norny Barrow from Mabu Mabu. We hope you have a great holiday season. Wishing you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll be back with the 38th episode in 2021. Take care, everyone.